we are live. If I don't spill the coffee first. Or knock over the entire damn table. Apparently. Uh, my, my, my bad. I thought I was supposed to be the clumsy one. Uh, so does then today you're the pretty one. I was about to say, does this officially make me the pretty one? Yes. Yes, it does. Hey guys, oh, this is oh, Brad Mike oh, Mandowski. Uh, and we weren't we weren't live that whole time, were we? Live it. Anyway, uh, sorry, so, sorry guys. Uh, Mom and Dad were fighting. <laughs> fighting. It's okay. We'll, anyway, uh, we'll make it up later. <clears throat> so, um, yes, for those of you who are uh, here already. Thank you for joining us. For those of you who come in later after the fact, thank you for checking this out uh, whenever you do. But, um, what are we talking about today, Mike? What are we talking about today? I overslept and did not get the notes for this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Of course I got the notes. <laughs> well, uh, And then I threw them away and just said, we're gonna wing it. That seems right. That's what we do. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are doing our Marvel Phase 1 review. We, so, did, we did one a while back. I'm, yeah. I'm going to talk to you. Uh, uh, <sighs> gross. Um, so we did one of these a while back. We went movie by movie. Um, I think if I remember right, we had called it our one-shot series. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally the thing that we started the channel with before the channel was official. Right, and that may be something we might go back to, because we really like the idea of doing a one-shot, like a quick two-and-a-half-minute uh, review of each movie. Yeah. Um, but for right now, uh, one of the things that we always kept kind of coming back to was how important Phase 1 is to not only the MCU, but the horribly failed DCEU. Yeah. Um, but also just kind of the whole cinematic universe that it seems like everybody is trying to do. Yeah, it's not even just the comic book movies specifically. Right. It's any movie that has decided that it wants to make a, a connected universe um, which between its movies for better or worse. But I mean, um, like Marvel's responsible for starting that trend. But like cuz I mean if you think about it, they had there was talk of doing a Hasbro connected universe with GI Joe and Transformers. Thankfully they decided they, against well, that. Well the rumor is is that Bumblebee was supposed to be the launch point for that. And the Bumblebee rumor. was the Bumblebee was really good. And that's the yeah, but that's the thing. Uh, I don't really think Hasbro is going to have the I don't think they're gonna have the stomach to we'll uh, go through with it because we'll the problem see. is they I mean you saw with every new Transformers movie that Michael Bay was responsible for that well they've got Hasbro's tolerance for uh, public criticism dropped more and more that's true. and more and I don't know if with the massive criticism that's uh, going on right now about cinematic universes if they are willing to put up with that knowing that they're automatically walking into yeah. what's going to be horrible. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but I mean, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, and then they tried to do the horror movie Legends universe that the, the mummy was supposed, the Tom Cruise mummy was supposed to be the kickoff for that. The thing that I think even Tom Cruise pretends like he wasn't a part of. <laughs> Which I actually liked it. Really? Yeah. Huh. I liked the more, I liked the more shift into the horror genre. Feel like, and I love the Brendan Fraser one. Oh yeah, well the first two, not the third. Yeah. The third Although one. to be fair, uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the interviews that, or the couple of interviews I should say that Brendan Fraser's actually done uh, since joining uh, the cast of Doom Patrol. But he's flat out said that one of the biggest reasons why you don't see him in Hollywood anymore is because the Mummy franchise 
physically destroyed his body so yeah. much that he he can't really he can't right. do what he used to anymore. Uh, which is sad, but I mean he did a fantastic job and uh, for what it was. But then you had like GI Joe was going to get its own universe for a while there. You had Rise of Cobra, then you had Retaliation, and that was supposed to be like a four to five movie franchise that just kind of died off. But we now have the uh, Universal Monsters. No, sorry, uh, Legendary. It is Legendary that uh, just King Kong uh, and, and uh, Godzilla. Godzilla. Right. Yeah, the Legendary Monsters universe, which. I mean, yeah, the Universal Monsters was the one that was supposed to be the Mummy and all yeah. the classic horror. Uh, I mean, depending on what Which you want to, I would love to have seen that. I think that would have been pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, depending on what you want to believe about the current reviews on the the newest Godzilla movie, I haven't uh, seen it. Yeah. Every, I need to. Like every other review uh, that I've seen, just goes back and forth from the extremes. Like it's so mixed. Yeah. With some people saying, oh, it's a fans movie. Others uh, saying that, oh no, certain critics get it, and then uh, others just saying, I mean. It had its high points, yeah. and I don't know. I love um, the 2014 one. Yeah, it it was good. I it wasn't my favorite Godzilla. I, I mean, I am a classic Godzilla fan, so it does. There is a certain bar in my mind that a good Godzilla movie has to hit to go from okay to like there. Right, Matthew Broderick. Right. <sighs> <laughs> we don't talk about that movie, dude. Oh, we've man, we've, we've, we've had this conversation. Um, such trash. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Marvel, though, yeah, uh, like we said, we have done this uh, these reviews in the past. Um, but seeing as how everything other than our Avengers review for Phase One was all audio yeah. and kind of meh, if I'm being totally honest. I mean, maybe from your end, I always bring it, but meh. Uh, yeah, we figured, hey, it's about time that we, uh, we, we redo this, um, properly. Howard, it's time for Howard the Duck to make a comeback, Franco. <laughs> yes. We're doing this properly. We don't do anything properly. As, as properly as we can, I mean. Which is not at all. Got it. Okay. Uh, Moving on. Yeah, <laughs> so, um. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, back before, we knew there was going to be a Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so yeah, the we have three main things that we're going to be talking about for each movie. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, how it was in the context of when it came out, how it is now in the context of the modern MCU, and where it stands today in the context of comic book movies overall. Um, so, to begin with, the very first Marvel movie that was part of the official MCU, Iron Man. Spider-Man. Oh, wait, never mind. You wished that was, but... Uh, I miss Toby so much. <laughs> so, so much. I watched two the other night. Yeah. God, it holds up so well. We're going to be talking about that in a different movie, so uh, let, let's, let's get back holds up on so track. Well. Uh, You're right, sorry. Iron sorry. Man, Robert Downey Jr. Right. John Favreau. Yep. No, awesome. Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire. Oh, sorry. Once again, different video. Right. So yeah, no, so, um, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Well, let's have you start. All I right. mean, you are the, the more of an expert on this one than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, summer of 2008. <laughs> we're going to jump all the way back 11 years, kids, back when flip phones were still a thing and you didn't have spoilers ruining 
everything left and right and people could actually keep their damn mouth shut and uh. not let <laughs> and not you know I know I miss it I miss it so much it's okay oh god I miss it's it it's okay Mike it's okay we can't go back Sony has to die sometime uh, got anyway got myself teary eyed a little bit <laughs> um, no so we go back to 2008 um the original Iron Man was we're just gonna call it what it was. It was probably one of the biggest gambles that any movie studio or any entertainment studio has ever made. And especially when that was the first movie that Marvel Studios put out. Right. Like that made it an even larger gamble because right. their literal reputation was on stake. Well, not only that, remember you had you And had, financing. You had Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Which was Everybody forgets it was a box office massive success. <sighs> Anna wants to know how can you Google about end credits with the flip phone? You can't. That's the point. <laughs> None of us knew walking in what was going, what was coming, <laughs> which was wonderful. God, it was. But back to days when we didn't even know about the end credit idea. But you get back to so. I'm trying to remember, I think Spider-Man 3 was either 2006 or 2007. I think it was 2007. Um, so Iron Man was uh, 08. Right, so you had Iron Man, or you had, you had Spider-Man 3, mm -hmm. you had X-Men 3, mm -hmm. which, box office success, but the fan, basically what I'm getting to is that the fan- Ratner doesn't get X-Men. Yeah, God, no, he doesn't. Um, like, <laughs> there was kind of, now we say that there's a backlash against superhero movies and people complaining that they're coming out too much and everything like that. Like around the time that Iron Man was hitting, it was real. Oh yeah. Like you had you had Begins, you had Batman Begins drop in 05, which I remember you and me saw it that night. And the funny thing about that movie, just the greatness of Christopher Nolan, was like I don't remember there being a big build-up marketing-wise for that movie. No. Like, it, it was a Batman movie. Yeah. Like, it was it was the first one in, I think, close to a decade because of the god-awful Batman and Robin. But it was a sleeper. Like, everybody which just is knew so a weird new to, Batman came out. Which is so weird, gonna. so weird to say about a Batman movie. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that caught everybody's attention was this was still back when Christopher Nolan was really only known Memento to... Memento and Insomnia. That well, was it. No, he, he was really only known to, like, the indie crowd. Right, yeah. The, the true movie aficionados he had, rather he had than... Memento and Insomnia. The, that the, was it. The big, uh, the big boys. But he... He wasn't even... He was considered a risky director anyway, so nobody really wanted to promote his stuff that And much. I think... And, like, and that's the, that's the thing that I always say was so important about the Spider-Man trilogy was if it hadn't succeeded, I don't think you'd have gotten Nolan to do his Batman drill. I don't think, because the no. to go off on a quick tangent, I think the, the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy showed that if you give the right director and the right writers to the right characters, yeah, that they can make a great film regardless. Which and, and who knew? And if <laughs> anything cemented it after that, it was the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy, and it was Iron Man. Yeah, because you had a B-level character played by a guy that hadn't worked in like almost a decade because, because of controversy 
And I mean, do we do we just want to say what it was? I'm, I mean, I think at this point everybody knows. He, he, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Like, doesn't like to talk about it, but literally like, nobody would cast him. Yeah, because he had done so much to hurt his reputation through drugs and arrest after arrest right. and just bad reputations on set, not being seen as a professional. Right. And uh, honestly, before, uh, actually. And then, I don't remember if Chaplin was before or after Iron Man because I, I think know it might have been around the same time. Because I know that was like one of the movies that started to bring him back. Right. But Chaplin. No, that was early. That was '92. Uh, so yeah, like Chaplin was the thing that gave yeah. him promise to his career. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Right. Uh, solidified it. I and mean, there was. Stuff. And then he just was... destroyed it. Right. Yeah. But then, so you had you. <laughs> You basically had a non-marketable star leading as your lead in a movie about a character that was, to the readers, was well-known. But to the general public. Didn't have the name X-Men, didn't have the name Spider-Man, like wasn't the, wasn't the, the flashy name, I guess. Would be. Yeah, there, there were really three big names in Marvel that the general public knew about. They knew Captain America because right. he was everywhere anyway. Right. Because they, um, they had just given him to Ed Brubaker and they uh, were letting Ed Brubaker run wild and kind of reboot the character. The general public knew about the X-Men. Right. And then Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. And that, uh, there, there was no other Marvel character that really had a lot of appeal. Right. And, just... then the, and then the last piece of the puzzle, John Favreau directing. Which, I mean, Elf. you want to talk about a risk, nobody really knew that he was a good director. Right. They, they knew that he was a director. Right. And he did a good movie. But, like, yeah, guy, like, up to that point, the guy was known for directing Swingers and writing Elf with, uh, or, write, directing Elf and writing Swingers with Vince Vaughn. Yeah. So. And, like, and then that, and that was it. Yeah. And, no, like, and, it, and it wasn't like they had a bunch of money behind this. They didn't, this was literally, like, Marvel's. Marvel's like, hey, we're going to make a movie studio. Here's our first movie. We're banking everything on it. And so what you end up getting was a movie that actually felt like the character. You felt like Tony Stark from the comics was brought to the screen and the personality was all there. It was, it was exactly what fans of the comics wanted from an Iron Man movie. Yep. And what the general public didn't realize they wanted out of a comic book movie. Right. Um, in fact, Iron Man kind of finished solidifying the comic book genre in film because before then, comic book movies had been either way too serious to be a comic book movie or it had been super juvenile or kitschy and just didn't have mass appeal. <coughs> Batman and Robin. So, Ooh, excuse me. Sorry, I had. Yeah, sorry. So when you had uh, Spider-Man come out, that started to show that there could be a little bit of maturity involved in it. Spider-Man Two showed that there could definitely be oh, maturity in maturity. it. Spider-Man Three took a bit of that back, uh, and then Iron Man love, came back and said, "No, you can make it mature. You can actually, from the very beginning of the movie, have an actual adult-themed superhero that." Appeal to kids. Well, I think I think Batman Begins helped with that too. Yeah, Batman Begins and the first two X Men. Well, Batman Begins is the thing that said that superhero movies could be taken seriously. Right. Iron Man is the one that said that comic book movies. That's true. Could yeah. be uh, considered adult fare. Yeah. Like that. That was the difference. 
the Dark uh, Batman, the whole Dark Knight series was never meant as a comic book movie. Right. It was a superhero movie. Right. Comic book movies is where Iron Man came in because it had the bright colors. That's it had yeah. the over-the-top uh, CGI that at the time didn't really look like it was over-the-top CGI. Now, now, but yeah, like it was a whole thing. Yeah. Um. Stop it. <laughs> you stop that. You stop uh, that right now. Thank, thank you, Anna. Stop uh, it. That that just made my day. Uh, <laughs> just ruined mine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was huge. Uh, yes. like and nobody was, realized it was, uh, what was fact, happening. Joss Whedon talks about, which we'll get to him later. Spoilers. Um, uh, like, a, back before we knew spoilers. Yeah. Um, Joss Whedon talks about the only, I remember re, I remember him talking about it in, in an interview. <coughs> he said, the only time that I've ever interrupted somebody's dinner is he went up to Kevin Feige after the announcement of Downey Jr. <laughs> being cast as as yeah. Tony Stark. And he shook his hand and he said, hey, he's like, amazing choice. Like, I think you guys are gonna do great things. And then he just kind of left it at that. And then later on, he Good tells the story that Feige called him when he was pitching. <laughs> and he was like, hey, so, uh, like, yeah, you wanna... Yeah. And he, he kind of referenced it when they started having the talks of him coming in to direct Avengers. That's awesome. So, yeah. But, like, that's... To give what? you an idea, like, people that knew what was going on and people yeah. that knew, knew that it was an amazing choice, but it was the risk of, is this gonna be a commercial... Is, is it gonna be the commercial success that Marvel Studios needed it to be? Yeah. Like, that was... Because they didn't have Disney money yet, people. <laughs> they had Marvel money. Which, Which Marvel money was was good money. If you were on the written format, on the movie side, just to be able to fund Iron Man, they were begging and scraping for financing. Yep. Like, there was nobody like this was, that wanted to throw their money behind this. Like, this was, like, literally the term Hail Marys used. This was the Hail Mary for Marvel Studios, and it was the first movie. Yeah. They were basically like, nope, we're chucking it deep, and if it gets caught, it gets caught, and if it doesn't, we'll go from there, question mark? Yeah, that was a thing and then, that happened. And then we also have to talk about the other thing that Iron Man 1 did. It set the groundwork for everything to come. It introduced the idea of the end credit scene. Well, not only just that. Okay, so it introduced the idea. Technically, Batman Begins introduced the end credit scene in its the uh, in its uh, what was it? Was it the original theatrical run or was it the secondary when they uh, they had the the final bit with the Joker card? No, that one didn't end credit. That was before the credits. Was it? Yeah. I thought that uh, that was like a. Yeah, because remember we're sitting there like. And we all lost our damn minds. Okay, yeah, yeah. But no, um, yeah, they, they introduced the idea of the end credit scene, which like so nobody much understood that, what that was no, or why it was going to be great. But the only thing that, like, I remember the only thing that tipped it off to me was, was I was reading reviews for it, and the reviews were amazing, but then the reviews also said, don't leave the theater until, don't leave the theater when the credits start, because there's something after the credits. Mm. But nobody was saying what it was, and then... And they had already started laying the groundwork. They introduced S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. They introduced the idea that maybe there's a lot more going on and he's going to kind of be like the out front kind of. Yep. 
And like, cause it ends with the famous him at the press conference saying, I am Iron Man. Yeah. Credits hit and you're like, oh hell, like, like where's this gonna go from here? Yeah. And then... Nick Fury. And he's like, the Avengers Initiative, and we all lost <laughs> our damn minds. We're like, wait, what? Like, so uh, so like, there are gonna what? be other movies that are connected to this and they're, they're, they're really doing this. They're, they're making and movies then that are interconnected. And, and then, then everybody forgets. Incredible what? Hulk was already coming out. Yeah, like we knew that that Incredible was Incredible Hulk, I think, only came thing. out a couple months later. Yeah. So Rudy was like, wait, they're not really about to do this, are they? Yeah. So, and that that's where this all, uh, not not to get all Iron Man for, uh, you know, this whole thing. But because it, I'm going to talk a lot about the Captain America movie, yeah. so you might want to speed it up. So, uh, <laughs> no, it, it, was, it was a very important thing because the part about the end credit scene that mattered the most that a lot of people now take for granted and honestly a lot of studios take for granted now is that when it was first introduced the in credit scene was brought in as the idea that you could have a movie that was entirely dedicated to that character to that story and then you use this little like couple minute long at most scene during or after the credits that shows connection to the other movies that are coming up or have come to allow for a genuine focus on what's important during the movie without dividing audience focus while the main feature is happening. But you still give that cinematic connection. Like that was a massive, massive thing that most studios now see it as, oh, that's an extra attempt to show the connection, but really we need to show the connection every time we can. Right. And it's, the original idea of it was fantastic because it gave you something extra that the movie itself was never meant to include. Right. Um, so it was a whole new thing. It absolutely was a whole new thing. It was a whole new world. And then we oh. had, We aren't in the Disney phase yet, so. Oh, that's damn it! <sighs> Jump the gun. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a phase early. Um, anyway, so yeah, uh, what we had. Uh, yeah, so then, so we get Iron Man. Yes. We get all of that, and then. Then we had Incredible Hulk, which they I were still North. think it was it was the same year, if I remember right. I, I think they both came out in 2008. Keep talking. Holy hell! Now that I think about it, so that was. If that's right, we had Iron Man, we had The Dark Knight. Yep, 2008. What, what month? That's good. IMDb doesn't want to show that too quickly. Uh, it just shows the year uh, immediately. So yeah, we, both, we got them both in 2008. Iron Man, um, The Dark Knight. Which was fantastic, uh, but it was one. It, that was another movie that everybody thought was a bit of a risk because the last time people tried to bring the Hulk to the big screen, Ang Lee and Eric Bana came in and just, they gave us what the Hulk would be if you dropped a hell of a lot of acid before opening the comics for the first time. That's an understatement. Like that, that was Ang Lee's Hulk. Right. It 
was an interesting artistic attempt, but that was never attempt. the thing that the fans of the comics wanted. No. It honestly wasn't even the thing that the fans of like general blockbuster movies wanted, because even blockbuster movie fans didn't know what to think about it. Right. Um, but so this one, Edward Norton came in and gave a more one, serious tone, and you honestly came into it feeling like, oh, okay, so Iron Man was like, comic! And now Hulk feels more Dark Knight. They're they're trying to bring a little bit more gritty realism ish to yeah, Marvel. Yeah, it was it was him. Okay. It was him on the run. It was which was a really good idea to make it to give it that 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 feel of a chase movie. Of he's always got to be one step ahead of everybody else. Um, which, by the way, is different from a heist movie. Which, once again, Ant Man Edward Norton's already already done as well. But that was. Italian job, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good reference. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Where were they going? I mean, there was a chase scene in the movie. But. <laughs> anyway. Oh, 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 right, right, right. Um, yeah. The thing that was really interesting that I like that a lot of people are still very on the fence about, though, is that it picked up where the Angley Hulk left off. It didn't give you the origin story. Mm. It was because remember because he. But it also discounted everything from the story of Angley's Hall. Right. It basically just said that. You know the origin. Right. So we're gonna pick up after that. Right. Technically, it could be connected, but we're and not really opening, gonna say like, if it is. In right? the opening credits, you see them doing the experiment. You see some stuff happening, yeah. and then it picks up with him in South America. Yeah. Which is where. The, the, the Angley one ended. Was yeah. him hanging out in the jungle trying to be away from everybody. Yeah, which was really fascinating. Yeah. Because no, I, I think everybody kind of thought that when uh, this one came out, they were there they was a really good chance that it was just going to be origin. a complete reboot. Right. Like, they were going to completely forget about everything Angley did. Right. And they sort of did, but not completely. No, but that's where you pick up. You pick up, he's been on the run for a couple of years. Yeah. Like, he's still trying to find the cure for, I guess, gamma poisoning or whatever you want to call it. Gamma radiation poisoning. Yeah. Um, but this entire time, he's or still... Hulkification. I hate you. <laughs> God, I hate you sometimes. Um, but that he's still on the run and that he's still trying to find this cure... And throughout the early phases of the movie, you see him in correspondence with people, like, I'm sending you blood samples, yeah. you need to run this, try maybe try this, do all of this. All while he's just trying to keep his head under, you know, basically, he's trying to stay under the radar. Meanwhile, like, everybody's looking for him. Yeah, and... Like, they have task force set up that, like, every time something pops up, they're sending people out to try to find him. And I think if you were ever going to be... If you're ever going to have a movie like this for the Hulk... Honestly, Edward Norton makes for a good actor for that type of story. I know a lot of people felt like he was uh, improperly cast, and I know that um, there's a big Ruffalo fan base now. But honestly, at the time, I thought it was a fantastic casting, um, and I would have been okay with seeing him brought in for another Hulk Iteration. If he wasn't a psychopath. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very specific with what he wants creatively. Psychopath, got it. Uh, and, and, God, and he did a movie with David Fincher. 
Holy hell, that set must have been impossible to be on. So, yeah, uh, if you guys Sorry, didn't, I, I if you weren't aware, the reason why Ruffalo was brought in uh, instead of Norton for the Avengers Hulk was because um, Marvel said that they split with Edward Norton over creative differences. The reality was he's not an easy man to work with behind the scenes and every movie that he's done especially in recent history uh and by recent history i mean the last decade um nice. has more or less said that if you don't do exactly what he wants even if he's not technically the guy that's supposed to be in charge of the movie um he's going to make you do what he wants or make your life a living hell uh and when he want uh when he came in and did massive rewrites for the incredible hulk which made some good and also interesting choices with some of the storyline. Uh, I think the ending of the Hulk is probably the best example of some of his interesting choices. Where he ends up in a cabin in the... No, not that forest. ending, but like right before the big fight at the end with the... Uh, oh, the, where he jumps out of the helicopter? The the introduction of the, the other like scientist, cringy... What's his name? That was supposed to be the villain for number two. Talking about the abomination? The guy, the scientist that was supposed to help him, uh, but ended up screwing him over, sold him out to the military, and then got uh, the gamma radiation poisoning massive. Became the abomination, yeah. Oh, no, 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 not the abomination. You're talking about, um, I know you're talking about. Yes. Oh, he was hell. set up to be yeah. the villain talk, for number talk, two. Talk, 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 damn it. Anyway, oh, you're killing me. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yes, I realize I'm the one that's blanking on the guy's name, but. It's not, just that's, that's not my fault. Uh, you're supposed to remember these things. So, yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So what we end up having was uh, an okay movie. Honestly, it, a lot of people will bag on it now, but it was an okay. No, movie. when you go back and you rewatch it, I think it's it didn't get the love then I think that it does deserve because it's a much better film than it gets remembered for. Yeah, and I mean, especially when you consider that Thor was the thing that came after it. Honestly, I thought The Incredible Hulk was better than the original Thor uh, by a lot. I disagree and you're um, also wrong. Iron Man 2 came before Thor. No. Okay, fine. The next hero in line. Whatever. The next new hero? Yes, the next new hero in line. The leader! Son of a bitch! That's who it was. What was his name before he was Samuel called There you go. So. I didn't care about the characters. I just, I, I couldn't remember the villain's name. Okay. Anyway, uh, so yeah, now that... Sorry. It was an interesting choice for how they brought that uh, transformation around, but honestly, it could have been salvaged with the second movie. Yeah, but if then Universal you get a big uh, become so pissy about it yeah. anyway so now moving on uh yeah we uh, the incredible hulk was better than uh people give it credit for mm -hmm. but at the time at the time it was another feather in marvel's cap to show that they could do a comic book movie in a more serious manner and then you have the post credit scene in that one with Robert Downey Jr. showing up. Which reinforced the fact that there is a, an interconnected uh, universe coming up and it wasn't a one-off concept. Right. So then we had Iron Man 2. Right. And that Which basically had, took everything that uh, Disney, the original Iron Man... Had Disney bought them at this point? No. Uh, that was around uh, the Avengers. Okay. So uh, Iron Man 2 came in and gave a new 
update to the cinematic universe by saying, okay, you guys like what we did with uh, the other two movies. You like the idea that this is interconnected. We're going to go ahead and throw you a bone. We're going to give you a couple new characters. We're going to give you a little bit more insight into this whole S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. Right. And best of all, we're going to give you more Sam Jackson because his Nick Fury, clearly, people like. So he must get more screen time. That wasn't even the best edition. We all know what the best edition was. Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. Which, honestly... You can say uh, what you will about fan service on that one. She really was one of the better additions to the team. Even though, at the time, everybody saw her uh, introduction to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Black Widow, as just massive fan service and uh, casting that clearly was never going to have any substance. And then she goes in there and kicks everybody's ass. And not just that, but as the movies went on, she was one of the characters that had some of the most character development that nobody expected. Thank Joss Whedon for that. Yeah. So it was a great casting choice. Yep. And honestly, I which that's another I, I thing. I think is... if there was ever going to be somebody that could have played Black Widow, she really does fit the well, bill. Well, and then this is where you start to notice that Marvel's basically every casting choice they make is. You can't question it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even say what you will about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and what you think of her as a person. She actually, She's crazy. She actually did a great job as Pepper Potts. Um, yeah, with what she was given. I mean, there wasn't. she wasn't the focus, let's be real. No, but for what you needed out of Pepper Potts for the movies, sure. she did the role well. I think the only, the only complaint that I would say about the casting is that Terrence Howard wasn't really given a chance to do anything in the original Iron Man. No, and honestly it was a bit of a it was a bit of a douche move the way they got rid of him. Like, I get that, you know, pay negotiations can go south all the time, but but the guy did just have mm -hmm. he was coming off of Hustle and Flow yeah. which is why he was the highest paid cast member of the original one. And then they were like, well, we're going to cut your pay because you're not the star. And he was like, well, that's great, but that's not how that works. Yeah, so, but, but honestly, I was, uh, after our, so it did take me most of Iron Man 2 to get used to Don Cheadle in the role. Yeah. Because I like Terrence Howard as an actor, but I think Don Cheadle did a great job as Rhodey. Absolutely. And honestly, they gave him so much more opportunities to do stuff with the role than Terrence Howard uh, right. was in the first. But with Iron Man 2, oh, sorry. Um, so you see the introduction of a lot of these new characters. You see them flesh out characters that we've seen before. Mm. Like we get more, we get more interaction between Phil Coulson and Tony Stark. Mm. Which um, another great character addition. My gosh, they're casting for Phil Coulson. Like, thank you for that. Yeah, honestly, Kevin Feige. Thank you for giving us uh, Greg, uh, Clark Gregg right. as uh, Phil Coulson. That was that was awesome. So like it's just it's to the point now where they're knocking every casting choice out of the yeah. park three movies in. Yeah. And yeah, Iron Man two. It wasn't the best, but it kind of suffered from sequelitis. Let's be real. They threw a lot in there. Now, they did, a lot of people don't really like the whole Tony Stark becoming a drunk and being a piece of crap. Even though that but it literally pulled yeah. from the comics. But it humanized him. So yeah. much so in a way that we really hadn't seen a lot of that. And, and, 
Look, movies before. I fully acknowledge that a lot of the fans of that storyline from the comics, their biggest complaint about the way it was handled was that it felt rushed. No. And then the comics, they had more time to build up and feel the pain from the character. No. I say if they were going to take that aspect of the character and build that up over even the first two phases of Marvel movies, that was actually going to be the least interesting uh, character uh, trauma that yeah. they could have given him compared to what they actually ended up giving him. And I'm okay that they brought it in, I'm okay that they went through it quickly because there was better character development for him down the line. Right. So, but... And then we had Thor. Yes. I really like the first Thor. It had high points. I really like the first Thor. In my mind, it was the weakest of phase one. See, I completely disagree. I would put it over Iron Man 2. I would put it over Incredible Hulk. Really? Yes. I loved the first Thor. Huh. The Victorian feel, the kind of capes and sorcery, like the fact that Kenneth Branagh directed it. Yeah. Eh. The fact that I didn't really know too much about the character going in. I knew of Thor. Mm. I knew that he got his power from the hammer. That's fair. I knew that you had to be deemed worthy to wield the hammer. That's fair. I didn't really know too much about Jane Foster or or anything like that. Um, I really liked the callbacks to the comics. Because um, originally when Thor was banished to Earth, he wasn't banished as Thor. He was placed in the body of a doctor. And her ex-boyfriend was the name of the character from the original comics. Hmm. Okay. So, like, the, the, the small stuff like that. Um, we got our introduction of the first, I would argue, fantastic villain. Oh, Loki? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, really liked, I really liked Ironmonger. But at the same time, Loki had more... He had more... I can't even say development. He just had more character. Right. Like, honestly, he had more personality, and he... Even when he wasn't given much for a uh, scene, Tom Hiddleston was able to right. take what he had and just run with it. But even then, it was also a different tone. Yeah, yeah. It, it was more... It was, Ironmonger was, I'm going to smash everything with brute strength. Abomination was, I'm going to smash everything with brute strength. Whiplash was, I'm going to smash everything with brute strength. Oh, and then I'm going to also outsmart Justin Hammer. But I'm still going to just throw brute strength at you. Loki was cunning and deceptive and was manipulative yeah it like gave he was, the, idea that they he was the snake in the grass yeah it gave and he was such a damn good snake it gave their villains the opportunity to expand yes which was nice because yeah marvel movies traditionally do have a bit of a villain problem right but i think loki isn't given enough credit for the groundwork he put in for the more complex villains we ended up getting right. over time. But yeah, but like, and you had a little bit more universe building in this one. You got Hawkeye introduced. Yeah. We got to see S.H.I.E.L.D. go down and basically kind of figure out what was going on down in New Mexico with Thor and everything like that. And we got to see S.H.I.E.L.D. a yeah. bit more in action. Right, and then we got to see the entire, and that's really where they started branching out and we're like, we're going off world. Yeah. We got to see Asgard. And we got to see Thor's depiction of what the extended galaxy looked like. Right. 
and the, kind of the, the introduction multiple of multiple universes, sort of. That's where they really started planting the seeds. Yeah. Because he's sitting there and he's like, oh, you call it science, we call it magic. It's really the same yeah. thing and this is how it works. No, you call it magic, we, we call, call it science. science. That's right, sorry, I flipped yeah. those. But uh, yeah, he's like, was... well, where I come from, really it's all one and the same thing. And here are the seven realms and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, like they're really laying the groundwork for, they may actually go off into the realms and mm -hmm. do future stuff over there. Yeah, and the fact that they brought in the ice giants uh, right. for the first Thor and they got to show an alien race that which by the way was the first alien race we'd seen in Marvel at that point right um when I mean if you don't yet, if you don't yeah. technically want to count the Asgardians as an alien race uh eh. interdimensional sure um it was interesting it was it was a different take it was it was a lot more universe expanding than we had seen before but it wasn't an overload yeah if that makes sense yeah um and on so and speaking to your point of kind of telling the story that they want to tell mm. that one very much told its own story and did like so much so that it was literally like oh yeah we're building this universe over here yeah no we're gonna go over here and like talk about the seven realms and we're gonna talk about other stuff that's going and on and they didn't give a damn what nope. the other movies have been setting up which i will say good for them yep um, Which that and was honestly, the, that was the post credit for Iron Man two, right? Was Thor's hammer landing in New Mexico? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, it was the call about it? Well, no, you actually see the hammer. Yeah, you saw the hammer, but you didn't see it crash land. You, you saw. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. You saw the hammer and yeah. the call about it, uh, yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because at that point, they had been using every pros. They had been using every every. Help me. Every post-credit scene to set up the next movie. Thank you. While also well, not, not, showing not, connection. Right, showing connection, but also introducing future characters. As well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So uh, from there, we. Oh, and just really, really quickly, um, because I don't think they get enough credit for it. Everybody that was cast as Thor's, I'm gonna call them exactly what they were, Thor's band of merry men oh, and woman, Lady Sif and the Warriors Three. Oh. They were fantastic, and honestly, with Marvel coming out and doing uh, their own uh, uh, shows on the Disney Plus streaming service, if they don't come back and do a prequel series just for Lady Sif and the uh, Warriors 3, I'm going to be terribly disappointed. Like, I don't want Thor in it. I do not want Thor in there. I do not want a Thor cameo. I don't want a well, Loki how cameo. Can he if he's flying off I want, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, spoilers. Mm, I want just a show with them. Right. Those four, nobody else, pick whichever casting variation you want. For those of you that actually paid attention during the uh, the different movies, you'll know what I mean. Or, or um, would it be better? I'll take have, it. Would it be better to have Loki and Thor involved as the younger versions of themselves and kind of growing into the characters that we got introduced in the first Thor? Honestly, I think because they, when they've they go way too much attention. When they go fight the Frost Giants, you can tell that they've all been together for a while and they've all been fighting together for a they've while. They've gotten way too much attention. I think that the. If they're gonna do it, it needs to be like a mini series that ends with the introduction of Sith and the Warriors 3 to Thor. Because at this point, I don't I don't know if uh, Chris Hemsworth is really worth bringing into one of the, uh, the shows because he's already so oversaturated with movies. Uh, you can never get too much Chris Hemsworth. Mm. But second, 
The shows are the one place where Marvel has the opportunity to really expand into the side I mean, yeah, stories. Yeah, you're not wrong. Without not wrong. the need for one of the main characters, yeah. one of the main Avengers. Yeah. And to throw him in to a story about those four, I think would be disservice to those four. Because everybody would be paying attention to Chris Hemsworth rather than what should be the purpose of the show, which is those four characters. That's true. And yeah. it would game, uh, give Jamie Alexander, uh, who really has not been given enough opportunity to shine through Marvel, but has in uh, actually her own TV show right now, um, uh, which I will look up right now. Yeah, it's the one on NBC, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Yeah. It's supposed uh, to be pretty good. She has shown that she can act and she can do a fantastic job. Yeah. Marvel just hasn't given her the opportunity, but they should because it would be fantastic. I mean, call it fan service if you want, but I want it. So next. Captain America! Ah. What you looking up? Her show. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we get Thor. Um, and then blind spot. Yeah, that's what it is. So after Thor, we've been building, building, building. We're building to something. We're building to something. Now we're gonna jump way the hell back in time, and we're gonna go and by way the hell. He means half a century. Yep. We go all the way back to where it all started with the first Avenger. And now, at this point, the casting news has already come out, and the news has already come out that we're getting the Avengers and Whedon's directing it, and we're getting all of that laid down. And the one worry I remember people having was that a lot of fans of the character were worried that Captain America wasn't going to get his proper movie, was that it was just going to kind of be a stepping stone into... The That's actors. the worry you remember? I remember one even bigger. Oh, I, I do too. I do too. I Chris remember. Evans. Yep. The man who was responsible for not one, but two terrible, and yeah, I will say terrible, renditions oh. of the Human Torch yeah. in the Fantastic well, Four. he wasn't bad. The movies weren't good. And he was, re he was attached he wasn't responsible, but he was attached. Yeah. Um, and then even before that, it was not another teen movie, and that whipped cream bikini. And banana, uh, do we want to say tail? Just all of the ba memes. Banana split. All of the memes and all of the gifts with the America's ass reference back to that movie. <laughs> My favorite yeah. one is where he walks up to the mirror. <laughs> Yeah. And he's looking in the mirror and it's Cap's ass and he's just, and he just walks. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's what every, those are the two things that yep. everybody remembered about uh, Chris Evans yep. when he was being cast. Everybody remembered that. Not when he was being cast, because remember there was, I think at one point it was Jude Law was going to play Captain America. You don't oh, remember that? crap, I think that was the thing. Yeah, like Jude Law was the top runner at one point. Like there was a name, like there was a John Krasinski at one point was going to be Captain America. Yeah. Like so. there was a name of people, or there was a list of names of people. And then it gets down to, I think it got down to Evans and I think either Krasinski, I think the last two were Evans and Krasinski and people don't know it, but like he turned the role down like twice. Yeah. Cause uh, he flat out uh, has said in interviews that 
he didn't really want a role that looked like it was clearly going to be sticking around for years and there was going to be a massive responsibility to the character to do it for that long right he wasn't sure if he wanted that responsibility um to any character let alone uh, a comic book character like captain america uh but like he was literally given the role turned it down then they did another round of um casting they did another round of casting and another round of and they came back to him again came back to him again had him come in and actually get fitted for the suit and he still turned it down yeah and then Downey Jr. had to call him and tell him to do it. Yeah. Or he didn't tell him, he basically said, he's like, you and I both know you're the only person that can do this, please. Like, he basically begged him to do it. And also told him that, yes, there is a responsibility that you have to the characters, into the, uh, or to the character and to the fans, but get over yourself. Yeah. It's going to be worth it, and you will be glad you said yes. And he did. Yeah. And I'm glad he said and yes. And honestly, I, I think he is probably more glad than almost anybody other than Robert Downey Jr. that yeah. he said yes to the role because not only did it actually take him and put him in the category of serious actor, mm -hmm. which is funny to be able to say considering comic book movie, yeah. but it also was the role that gave him the clout to start his directorial debut mm -hmm. and his that whole side of his career because of the things that he learned and the opportunities he was given through Marvel, yep, and that yeah, that would probably have never happened, or if it did happen without Marvel, Dude, it would have been be, at least another decade or two like, before it would have happened. And I still think to this day that was the best casting choice that Marvel's ever made. Yeah, uh, Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. No, I think I think he was a better casting choice. Than really, that. I think this character, like hmm. people, so many people. Are, like have the stigma that Captain America is this boring, very dry character. Oh, uh, which sure. like the character, okay. the character can be very dry, and there were instances where Evans played him very dry. But there are also instances where like he's going to give you this kind of raw, raw fire you up speech, and like it's in in the Avengers when he's sitting there calling out Stark in front of everybody, you're like, oh shit, like he's putting him on blast in front of, everybody. and like you actually feel it. Mm -hmm. Like it, ma like it matters more and it means something more that it's coming from this one specific person, and like Evans brought it. Yeah. Like so much so that like I can't. Like Krasinski's really good. He's done really good, and or he's done really well, I should say, in a lot of the, the more heavy action stuff that he's done. Like he was fantastic in, in Jack Ryan. Mm. Oh, I loved him in that. Quiet Place, he yeah. was fantastic. Uh, 13 Hours, he was great. Like he's grown into a more serious actor. But like I can't see anybody else doing this no. character. No, and even then uh, with Krasinski, with uh, the direction he has grown, I don't know if seeing what his acting style has turned into, if he could have done Captain America. Because there are still Because scenes. it's not his it, that's just not his style. Yeah. Like what we needed from the character is not what John Krasinski has become as an actor. And I right. don't know if he was ever even capable of it. And there are still honestly. scenes. And like, and there are still scenes in all. Which throughout. is not a, a slam to John Krasinski. Yes, no. He's fantastic, but not for this. And like, and there are moments and scenes throughout his entire run where like he still plays it very dry and he still plays it very straightforward, but. Not so much so in a toned down way, more so like he's the glue for the scene mm. and he's letting everybody else do their thing and he's kind of the he's kind of the compass of and he's kind of the the centralized point of I'm going to stand here and be the foundation while I let everybody else kind of run and yeah. do their thing. 
So yeah, and I mean, even, I mean, obviously we got the introduction of Sebastian Stan as Bucky, which was a great casting choice, honestly. Spoilers, we'll see him later. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, even- Haley Atwell. Haley Atwell was fantastic as Peggy Carter. Um, Tommy Lee Jones was great in it. And um, Neil McDonough as Dum Dum Dugan was fantastic. But uh, Red Skull. Um, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving. A man who does not know how to play a villain poorly. No, God. And even on some of his more ridiculous villainous roles, he still makes them believable. And honestly, for a guy who is literally just a character that is an evil Nazi with a delusions of power <laughs> and whose head is a red skull, that doesn't give you a lot of confidence that the character can be good, but oh my gosh, he did it. Yep, he absolutely did it. And uh, the thing that made the movie so great was that it was a total period piece. Yeah, and that was the other big, big thing about uh, Captain America the First Avenger was that it was the movie in the MCU that started the idea, and even the movie within comic book movies as a whole, that started the idea that a comic book movie was not necessarily a genre as much as it was a theme, but you could actually place comic book movies within different genres, oh, and then... or even sub-genres, and make them work. And by making this a historical action flick, um, it proved that not only was it possible, but it could be done well, and, then, and people would love it. And then they did the exact same thing with Winter Soldier. Yeah. And even more so were like, well, I mean, we'll talk about that one. Yeah. But no, but, and then another Joe Johnston to direct it, you're doing a period piece, get the guy that's known for period pieces. Yeah. Um, the fact that literally the first two or three minutes and the last five minutes of the movie all take place in the modern world and everything else is set back in 1940, I think it starts in 43, 43 and or 44. it feels different between it the has, scenes. It doesn't like aesthetically it feels feels totally different. different. And there, and yeah, there are cheesy moments and there are corny, but it plays back to... That's the character. Not only is that the character, but that's the time period that it's set in. Mm. Sure. Like the, like the traveling, the, the traveling chorus piece that he goes with and everything like that. Like that's crap that they did back which then to sell then, to sell bail bonds. Which even then, I have seen, uh, there's actually a, an analysis um, by, I wanna say it was the YouTube channel Just Right. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up uh, here in just a second. Yeah. But uh, that actually explained that without any of us realizing, that whole section of the movie was actually one of the most accurate mm -hmm. depictions of uh, government military propaganda while actually turning that whole section of the movie into government military propaganda without it being a parody of itself. The character... It in a, a true-to-form method that it made it so much deeper in context. And it was... The character itself it was, was... great. The character itself was literally made for war propaganda. It was made by two Jewish writers to... It, it was made by two Jewish writers. He was blonde-haired and blue-eyed, which is exactly which is exactly what Adolf Hitler said was the perfect race. But he stood against everything that the Nazis stood against. He stood for everything that the United States stands for. Oh, and by the way, the cover of the first book is him knocking Hitler out. 
Like, the character literally was made as war pop propaganda and then became like a cultural icon. Just right, yeah, it was. Uh, just Right's contribution to the ongoing miniseries that he uh, and several other channels are doing called One Marvelous Scene. Uh, if you guys really want to see some interesting analysis of that part of Captain America, go check it out. It's 15 minutes. It is surprisingly insightful uh, about a movie that I already thought I knew everything there was to know about, and there was still a deeper level to go for even more of it. Um, and talking about deeper level, just the the true writing style of showing how heroic he was as a person, yep. and the ways that they did it, even before he was and full so superhero, like that was that was some of the best writing. Yeah, you could say it's a bit cheesy, but it was some of the best writing. But it was of just true character it was so great because like that's how people lived their lives back then that's how people th they're well, called the j they're called the greatest generation because they wanted to do what was right and here you literally have a character that's like i don't have a right to not go and fight and possibly give my life when literally other men are doing it as well yeah uh, i mean his reaction to seeing the uh the military ads before he uh tried to enlist his conver multiple conversations with Stan uh, Stanley Tucci's character, and yeah. um, the even the really cheesy grenade scene uh, during boot camp. So great! Like all of it. Yeah, it seems cheesy, but it was probably some of the purest. It absolutely was bits of his own character development that we ever got in the franchise, and it started him off. If that's where you're starting you can see how the rest of his story just added on from there. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it was it was literally just, it was such a simple story too. It was a story yeah. of a guy that just wanted to do do the right thing. And like he did. Now, and then he goes into the ice and the movie ends. And, and then you, we and get was the, everything think, transitioned oh. to the Avengers. Well, not only that, we I need to really get to, because we are running I just, over I, time. I, I don't care, they can wait. Um, <laughs> I still think that might be they one can of my... Wait. My wife will literally come up here and kill you for making it go longer. That's, Not me, that's, you. That's, yeah, that's so let, let's, let's, you know. Okay, but just real quick, the um, the last five minutes of that movie I think are my favorite five minutes of mm. any film where he wakes up in the room and like, because you didn't know what they were going to do. Yeah. You didn't know if they were going to save that for Avengers, you didn't know, and then he wakes up and you hear the radio playing and like... And it's so funny because David, who's been on the show with us, mm -hmm. his brother came with us, my dad, it's all four of us sitting there, and my dad's over here and we're just like, they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it, and they're over here like, what's going on? And like, and you can kind of tell people, and, and like she comes in in the 1940s era, and he looks at the radio and he was like, that game's from 1944 because I was there, and you're like, oh god, they're doing it! And then he runs out into the modern world and it's all the modern cars, and he mm -hmm. runs into the middle of Times Square and you're just like, it's literally like it's the man out of time. Like, he, yeah. he goes into the ice and then he comes out 70 years later, and then you're like, we're gonna get to see this play out throughout the future movies. Yeah. But I thought that that was a really, like, I I, I would have been disappointed if they didn't end the first movie that way. Mm, sure. But, sorry, anyway, I just wanted to get to that point. Go ahead. And I just noticed over there that apparently our background music cut out uh, a little while ago. Sweet, so they just are hearing our obnoxious voices. Us, yeah. Okay. yeah well, uh, sorry for that. Um, that, just one of the two minor technical difficulties we've had on this live stream, but hey, it's live, so, whoa! Blame Brad. <laughs> Actually, that one is fair. Yeah. Uh, I, I should have checked that one. <laughs> anyway, um, 
Now, uh, to get to the last bit and try to get through this without going too far in, uh, The Avengers. This was the first Marvel movie that not only brought all the characters together, but proved that you could actually do a big comic book event mm -hmm. in the movies with at least some variation on what the comic book event was to make it suitable for the movie. And not only that, it was done the right way. We had all of the characters introduced in movies before it. We got their stories. We got them fleshed out as characters. Yeah. We got what their baseline movie, because going into the Avengers, we wanted to know who they were. We wanted to know yep. what they stood for and everything like that. And we knew that coming out of the Avengers, the events of the movie would change who they were and kind of move them going forward. Yeah. But we had all of the ground. Literally, this was 2008 to 2012, so this was four four years of a buildup to mm -hmm. one event. And it was... They had the perfect, again, casting and directing choices. Like, oh, Joss Whedon's going to get to write and direct Avengers. He hadn't done a movie. His only his only major film was, was Serenity. So this was literally his second film. Wow, and we just had a bit of a, a loss of stream. Uh... Apparently. So if you were still around or coming back on, uh, we apologize for that. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what just happened. That's good. Apparently YouTube is still having some issues trying to catch up. That's YouTube. What do you expect? Uh, um, Facebook did too just now. Uh, we weird. literally froze for like a solid two seconds. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, to uh, uh, really wrap it up before more things fall apart on us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the Avengers. Um, it was big. Uh, Joss Whedon came in and showed the way that the big event movie was supposed to happen. And I know, and so many of my friends still complain that they spent too much time on the Helicarrier, but I would rather have that time to maybe see the characters interact with each other yeah. and develop and grow together, which then uh, literally just kind of randomly throw them into battle after battle after battle. Yeah, which I'm okay with, honestly. Uh, we... I think we needed that time on the Helicarrier, uh, yeah, getting their uh, finding out what their combined dynamics were, right. so that everything that happened in the second half of the film actually had meaning to us. Right. Because and without all that uh, build up for them as a team, right, it wouldn't. Well, and that's just it. Like you had them butting heads with each other. You had them arguing with each other. Yeah. You had them. Well, no, we need to do it this way. No, we need to do it this way. There's the scene where Stark's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and hack all of Shields." files like we should know what they're actually doing here in about a couple of hours yeah and then right as he's about to get the information cap walks in and throws the gun down on the table and he's like well they're going to use the tesseract as a weapon sorry the computers were taking too long <sighs> like they both yeah. got the same idea we're just going to go about it very different ways to figure out what's going on yeah and honestly that is that was a big thing uh like knowing what and i know i keep saying that but phase one had yeah. so many big elements to yep. it that were important for the future of everything yep. honestly um you had a massive thing that came up with this where you understood what the characters were like before you needed to see how they were together right. and the fact that it took them a while like you said to find that happy place where they worked together and they needed that tension and it was, to start it made their team up feel more believable rather than what dc has tried to do where you come in and oh cool uh superheroes exist all in the same uh universe they meet for the, for the first time and of course they're gonna work together I because mean, they're superheroes that's what they do right 
And they did such a fantastic job of laying everybody's motives out before it. Yeah. Like that, all that time on the helicarrier was kind of building up to why all of them is going into this fight that's about to come up. Like you had Thor because he's about to fight his brother. You had, you know, Steve Rogers was there to be the glue for everybody and he wanted to make sure that the Tesseract didn't fall back into the wrong hands because that's what he sacrificed his life essentially for. Yeah. You had Downey Jr. that had to prove that he wasn't just in it for himself. Yep. Yet Hawkeye, the only Hawkeye's the only. He's the only one that could have been a bit of a gimme, whether or not he was there, except for what we end up getting from him in right. later movies. But for that's, that movie in particular, it. and Whedon, and, he was. And Whedon talks about it. I hate to call it him this, but he was a bit of a straw Probably, man yeah. for the sake of that movie. Well, and Whedon and Renner both talk about the fact that when Whedon gave him the script. Uh, Renner was like, this isn't really who I wanted to, and he's like, hey, I understand. He was like, here's the big picture that I have going forward. This is just a stepping stone. Mm. And then you saw it in Age of Ultron, where like Clint is literally the main focus of that movie, essentially. Like there's a huge dynamic shift and Clint really steps out and becomes like an all-star. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so overall, I would say that Marvel Phase 1, at the time that each movie came out, uh, one movie after another was just a massive series of risks that paid off for what was a very young and uh, underfunded studio. Right. Um, <laughs> they wouldn't have to be. They wouldn't have to worry about being underfunded much longer. <laughs> which, yeah, I think it was either going into the first Avengers or it was right after, after. it was released. I think it was around. Uh, I think it was Dis after. That's when Disney bought Marvel for all, and it became a, a very different kind of thing. But I think you also um, saw with Phase One, they showed that they could, they could develop the character. Like yeah. these weren't just. These are popcorn movies, but they weren't just dumb, thoughtless, emotionless. Like there's actual feeling put into the. Like there's, yeah. there's, like they there's, gave us hints that there was more that you could do with these type of movies than anybody had thought was possible before. They gave us the idea that you could expand your definition of what was a right. comic book movie, right. not just a superhero movie, but an actual comic book movie. You could expand that definition out because even though they didn't, other than Captain America, they didn't really go full out and show that you could, Right. but they gave enough hints that everybody was starting to pick up the pieces and go, wait, well, if you could do this, and you could do this, and they could do this, does that mean this is possible, and then this, and, well, what about this? And it made everybody start asking the right questions, right. the questions that ended up defining the genre. Well, I think also what you saw too was was that if you give these characters that mean something to these people, then they're gonna do what's right by the fans. Yeah. Because they're like the people that are Kevin Feige's a fan. Yeah. Joe Johnson, John Favreau, the the Russo, the Ruth, the Russo brothers had to petition to get Winter Soldier. Yeah. And then they were given Civil War, and then they were given Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. But like they literally fought tooth and nail because the character meant so much to them that they wanted to see it done in a way that would have brought the character to life in the right way. Yeah. Like that's what you have with all of these films is you have people that have, like there's so much love for the characters behind the scenes that it shows on the screen. Yeah. Um, in the context of the modern MCU, yes, 
they're each of these movies don't necessarily hold up as the perfect movie compared to some of the recent editions. No, but, but you know, and you can't even say that their special effects really hold up per se compared to modern versions of their special right. effects. But you can never look at these movies and say that they feel like they are the bottom of the barrel that Marvel had to offer. Right. They still feel relevant. They still right. feel uh, like they are movies that you could enjoy even knowing and seeing what the modern Marvel movies are. You can still go back and enjoy them today. Right. Um, which is not the same thing that you can say for other movie franchises. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the context of the comic book genre, um, I mean, I think you kind of said it best. Uh, they set up so many things that other movies needed and relied on because Marvel did it first. Like, it's you and I always talk about Warner Brothers and the DCEU and trying to catch Marvel and and then you have the Universal Monsters and then you have what was supposed to be the the Hasbro and then you have the Legendary. And as we were actually uh, corrected on YouTube earlier that I missed. Uh, the, that is the brain. Son of the bitch. Dark Universe. Yeah. Uh, the it, not, not just the uh, Universal Monsters, There's the Dark, Dark Universe. Universe. Which I still have hope for. It's probably not going to happen. Um, but... Like, this is literally the blueprint for how you make a, a, a cinematic universe. Yeah. And... Like, I know... Anybody I, that tries to say, oh, we can do it better or differently... No. You're missing the point. You are missing... Literally, they laid it out there for you. This is how you do it, guys. Just... Literally, introduce them one at a time. Give your time. Give your characters time. Like, give them their own movies to get fleshed out. Then you put them in together. Yeah. You need... Time yes. to develop the characters, and Marvel proved that because any time they've tried to introduce characters in a rushed fashion, right. you felt it. Right. But the second those characters were then given additional development later, that you could feel what that character was supposed to be, yep. you understood more, you connected, and it mattered. Right. So yeah. yeah. Um. It absolutely did. Uh, yeah, so that is pretty much uh, Marvel Phase 1. Uh, we'll be coming back later this summer to address Marvel Phase 2. Electric Boogaloo. And don't know about uh, if we'll be able to get to Marvel Phase 3 this summer or not, but we will definitely try. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I'd say that's a pretty big one. But yeah, uh... Just a skosh. So anyway, for those of you that are still sticking around until the very end, uh, thank you for doing that. That is uh, awesome of you. I know we're pretty insufferable sometimes, and, I know. And we kind of went longer than we intended uh, by about 16 minutes. But uh, anyway, so just really, really quickly, um, if you want to be able to see more of what we do here on this channel, um, if you're watching us on YouTube, Go check us out on uh, Facebook, Instagram, sort of Twitter. Uh, <laughs> sort of Twitter. I'm working on it. Um, or if you like us on YouTube, but you don't always have time for our videos, we actually have the audio version of all of our videos available in podcast form on iHeartRadio. We finally got approved. Uh, Spotify, Google Play Store, uh, iTunes, 
and holy crap, we're on all of those. Wait, Stitcher, for real? apparently. Which, uh, for those of you who don't know what Stitcher is, it's a, a podcast specific platform. I'm gonna straight up start telling people now that I know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. We're on iTunes. We're on uh, Google. We we are on uh, Spotify and iHeart and all of it. Um, so yeah, you have no excuse not to check out our stuff. And of course, Facebook is another great place to be able to continue to get our content. And for those of you that are uh, watching us on Facebook, uh, you can find us on all those other places. But please, also, if you do subscribe to uh, people on YouTube, we would love it if you would also subscribe to us over on YouTube because we need to build up our audience there even more. So that would be fantastic of you. We're trying to get famous, Um, you guys need to help us. And for those of you who are watching but you're not currently following or uh, subscribed to us on either Facebook or YouTube, please don't forget to like and subscribe. And um, yeah, uh, I guess until next time, this is Brad and Mike from Dos Geek saying, see ya.